You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. It is good to be with you this morning. I uh, want to start off, uh, Justin, just in his prayer, so that we should never take for granted how good it is to be together, to worship together as a faith family. And uh, so I think most of you have probably heard by now some form of this, and you'll see a lot more of it coming at you. But um, we've been talking with a lot of folks in our church and been having a lot of conversations, a lot of different Sunday school groups or our small groups. And uh, met with some folks and asked for input because we had a lot of folks come and ask if we could come together for the summer into one larger gathering. And so uh, we have heard and we have uh, worked it over as leadership and we will actually be going to that next week. That's not going to mess with you guys too much because we're going to meet for our worship gathering at 9 a.m. in here. But we will uh, have some changes, like you heard about on the, the announcements earlier, that might pertain to small groups. So if you would, make sure you grab one of our newsletters and one of our small group uh, half pages back here so you can know where you need to go. There's some room changes because of the number of groups meeting right after this time at 10.15 that will be starting coming up. If you didn't get one of those on the way in, I encourage you to make sure that you get one on the way out. And uh, I'm excited about it. I think uh, somebody that's a friend of mine uh, said it's like a big family reunion. And that's exactly what I've been hearing from folks because it has been uh, a big desire to have the folks that are in the second service know the folks that are in the first service. And the folks in the first service want to get to know some of the folks in the second service better. So uh, I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be a good time. It's going to be quite a, uh, in my mind, quite a chaos because we're thinking about styles and we're thinking about uh, just, can you imagine I'm only going to have to preach one time? It's uh, pretty exciting, you know, I like to preach, but it can be a little bit uh, tiresome, and so I'm going from three in COVID to now one all of a sudden a few months later, so y'all be praying for us as we make the transition and be patient, because I know there'll be a few uh, uh, misses along the way, and so you let us know of those when you see them, but uh, be patient with us and pray for us as we try to get everything rolling in that way. If you're new with us, you may not know until you saw it on the screen, we're going to be in Jonah today, we're in our last uh, last passage of Jonah that we're going to hit, but we're not in our last sermon from Jonah. We're going to be looking today at Jonah chapter 4. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a uh, review if you're not familiar with the book of Jonah. I think most people are at some level, especially down in the south. Or even just abroad, we've heard about Jonah. We know that there's this guy who was told to go and tell some people in a big city they need to repent of their sin. In fact, they were a horrendously evil city in the way they dealt with other nations around them. And uh, Jonah refused to go, and he went down this downward spiral of running from God's presence. And as he got to the bottom of that, what he thought was the bottom of that, he's in the bottom of a ship when a big storm is coming because God has hurled a great storm at this ship as he's trying to go the opposite way from Nineveh. And as he uh, is down there, it's actually uh, found to him that he needs to tell to the pagan people he's with about they're his God, the one true God, and so he does. They become believers as they cast him into the sea upon his request, and the storm stops. And then this guy, as he's sinking to the bottom, is scooped up by a fish. Sounds crazy until we read an article a couple weeks ago about a guy who got literally totally taken into a whale's mouth. I don't understand how that's possible in you know, a place where you're just doing a little bit of lobster diving. Anybody here to diving before snorkeling? Anybody? I've never once thought a whale might swallow me whole. 
not one time. I believe the story in, in the Bible is true about Jonah, but I've never worried about it. I've thought more about giant grouper or something being the problem, but not a whale, uh, because they usually eat, as we've seen in the cartoons, like plankton, right, as they come at them. Nobody? Nobody has watched that Finding Dory, Finding Nemo? Five kids will do it to you. So anyway, we know that we believe in this story because we know there's a lot of historical things that point to this happening. Uh, there's a lot of truth in the Bible that seems to be hard to believe. But if we can believe that God could raise a man from the dead, that he can defeat death in the resurrection, Jesus, then we can believe in this story. And so it says that the Bible tells us here that a big fish under the direction that God appointed this big fish to come and swallow up Jonah. Three days later, spit him out on the dry ground. And after Jonah had, had a moment of repentance, and he goes on to Nineveh and preaches to them. Now, he doesn't want to go still. We see that. But when he gets there... He preaches the truth to them. They turn from their evil ways, and God relents from bringing disaster upon them. In fact, the word disaster and the word evil and the word anger, a lot of times all this tied up stuff in the Hebrew meaning a lot the same thing. We'll see it again in this chapter. That uh, Jonah should have gotten the point when he was in the bottom of the ocean, and then he was in the belly of a fish, but he still didn't get it, and now we're going to see how bad it goes down the rabbit hole for him. And so if you would look at Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, and I'm going to start actually in chapter 3, verse 10, just give us a little bit of how this works. The people relented, repented of their evil ways. And in verse 10, chapter 3, it says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. He did not destroy them. Now, before I go any further, I want you to hear me. You may be thinking, this is a story I know, this is something we've been listening to, I, I get there's going to be something probably in here for me, but I'm, I'm here to tell you that today, the message you're going to see in this particular part of the story for us is one that is harrowing. It is one that should be very, very horrifying to some of us as we look into it. All of us should be constantly wondering, am I really who I say I am? I mean, we, we think all the time that we are a certain person, this residual self-image in our mind that we have of who we are. But we're going to see today a guy who is actually a called-out prophet of God is not living up to the life for which he was called. And he doesn't quite get it, it doesn't seem. And so God is trying mercifully over and over again to let him see it. And I wonder if that might be some of us, that we think we're okay with God, we think we're doing all that needs to be done, we think that we're in a good place with God relationally, but are we really who we think we are? And are we really in the place relationally with God that we think that we are? This is where we pick up the story in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. In fact, that word displeased is a combination of two Hebrew words, and it says basically that it, it, it greatly brought displeasure and evil in the heart. It's kind of the imagery here. Exceedingly. There's that word great again we've seen all throughout this. And he was angry, and that word actually can be translated as hot. We get that one, right? He was hot. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. That word is actually evil again. Relenting from destroying, destruction of evil. Therefore now, 
O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Let's put that in today's language real quick. Look at those verses again. He says, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. I don't know about you, but I've got five kids in my house. I hear that kind of talk often. They don't say those exact words, but the woe is me stuff. Anybody? You may get that. Sometimes we like to do that woe is me stuff. And I love the Lord's response. It's like, how's it going for you to be angry? Does it do well for you to be angry? Jonah went out of the city, verse 5, and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. That same word actually is the same word they use for tabernacles. The tabernacle that was made for the house of the Lord. The tabernacle, the feast of tabernacles where the Jewish folks celebrate, where they make booths that they live in to remind them of how God brought them out of the wilderness. So Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city, made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. He's still hoping, right, that God's going to bring down the wrath. He's getting far enough away to not be in it. He's hoping for the wrath to come. Verse 6, now the Lord God appointed, there's that word again, appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Oh, that discomfort word there even leans into the evil word in Hebrew. So Jonah was exceedingly, there it is, greatly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Isn't that a weird way to end this story? I'm going to hit one piece right there. Look at that last verse again. He says, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? Or is that word great again? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, meaning they don't really know what's right or what's wrong. They don't don't get it. They don't understand. Should I not pity them, the the city that I've brought up, that I've made in more than a night? There's history books talk about this city. The Bible mentions this city, and it's lasted for quite some time. And he says even there, though, he goes on, who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. What a weird ending, if you think about it. And also all the cows, you know? It's a weird thing. But it looks like he's even appealing, like, don't you even care if you don't care for the people? You've not cared for any of the people, Jonah. You've not cared for the sailors you put in jeopardy. You didn't even pray for them when they asked you to pray. You didn't care about them. You just knew that you were going to die, so you told them how to stop what was happening. You didn't care for the people of Nineveh because you wouldn't go to them. You didn't care for the people even after that when you went to them and preached the truth. You're looking for their destruction still. And you go outside and you're watching for it. You don't care for them. You don't even care for the animals. You can at least love the animals. They didn't do anything to you. They don't pose a threat to you. But you care that you had something that covered your head from the sun and now you don't have it. It's all about self. God's trying to point out a big picture here, I think, for us. Let me pray for us again. I know we've prayed sometimes already, but let me pray for us again that God would look deep into our heart and open it up so that we can see some areas that God wants to change today. 
Father, we need your guidance. We need your Holy Spirit to awaken us to the areas of self-deception that we are not even aware of, possibly. So I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts, open our eyes to see that we would be obedient to you, that we would see where we need to become more like your son, that we would, in your power, by your Holy Spirit, lean into that, and that we might repent of any sin necessary in order for you to make us holy, that we might be used for your glory, that we might love as you love, and we might love you because you are worthy. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's unpack this for a few minutes together. I'm just going to give you two main points today. And uh, the thing you're going to hear ringing throughout the whole thing is one of my favorite song titles. I can't get out of my head, so that's what you're going to hear a lot of. His mercy is more. His mercy is more. I mean, we've titled this whole thing, Jonah, God's infuriating grace, because God's grace towards the Ninevites has just made Jonah furious. He wants to see him bring down the walls on them. And instead, God shows grace and mercy and kindness. And so I want you to look back at verses 1 through 4 again. Let's read them together, then I'm going to unpack that for us. It says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry or hot. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Look at that verse one more time, verse 2. He prayed and said to God, he said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I mean, doesn't Jonah see what he's even saying here? Jonah, speaking these words, I know you're a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That's that word chesed in the Hebrew. That's that covenant kind of love where he attaches himself to people that he doesn't let them go, that he just loves them even when they're acting unlovable like the whole nation of Israel often. And he's relenting from their disaster. He says, I know these things about you, but doesn't Jonah remember that just a little bit ago he was going to the bottom of the depths of the ocean where he was approaching death and he was saved by this gracious, merciful God who was has been steadfast in his grace and mercy and slow to anger with him because he has not yet destroyed him when he has been unrepentant and he has run from him. He's run from the presence or from the face of God. We see this Jonah who will not stop going against the God who made him a prophet, one of the highest people and honor in all of Israel. And we see him just running away and running away. And now he's received mercy after mercy after mercy. And yet he says, this is why I didn't want to come because I knew you would give mercy to these people when I came and preached to them. And you're going to make me look foolish to my people or to the Ninevites because you're not doing what you said you would do. This is, this is the kind of attitude that Jonah has. And I often wonder, We don't think it out loud like that or say it out loud to others, but often wonder if maybe we have a problem like Jonah. Is is this us? Are we Jonah in this way? Maybe I could say it like this. Like Jonah here, you can know right things about God and not truly love the one true God. You hear me? You can know right things about God and not truly love the one true God. Jonah hasn't shown very much love in his heart towards God, except 
right after God swallowed him up out of death and saved him from that moment. You might even think of it as a jailhouse conversion. We're not sure if it was real and his hope there or just kind of a thankfulness that God heard his prayer to save him. We're not sure because we don't know the end of the story here as far as it's laid out to us. What we see is a guy who seems really miserable because God showed some mercy to people when he went and preached. Instead of celebrating, instead of rejoicing and making much of a merciful God, Jonah is mad at God for what he's doing. He's upset with him. Jonah rightly knew the truth about God, but he was unwilling to really love God for who he was. He wanted God to be his God. You might have heard it said, that's not the kind of God I serve. That's not the God I worship. That's basically what Jonah is saying to him. Jonah, after even experiencing that grace, forgot it all too quickly, didn't he? And I think we do the same often. So let us not fool ourselves into thinking we are right with God just because we think rightly about God. You may know all these things about God, that He's sovereign, that He is gracious and merciful and steadfast in His love and slow to anger. It doesn't mean that you are right with Him in relationship. For many years, I thought because I knew all the right things to say and I knew how to pray and I knew how to pray the right prayers that I was a Christian. But just because you know the right things doesn't mean you're in a right relationship with somebody. I can know a lot of things about my wife and that's not be in a right relationship. It's about loving because we've first been loved. Say it a different way for those of us who like theology. Right theology. Right thinking about who God is does not necessarily result in that right relationship. I'll say it in a $10 version. You ready? Did I have to pull the Hulk Hogan out? Yes? Okay. Doctrinal correctness divorced from a heart of grace always results in religious superiority, which is antithetical to the gospel. That's where we're pitting. We've been talking about it a lot lately. Self-righteousness versus an alien righteousness. Self-righteousness because I've done this thing. I know this stuff. Divorced from grace leads into self-righteousness instead of resting in the alien righteousness of Christ Jesus that's been declared upon us in His grace and mercy. So here's something to think about. Jonah here is mad. We're not exactly sure why he's so upset. It could be because his reputation is at stake. He said the walls are going to come down. Fire and brimstone are coming. And it doesn't come. Or maybe he's got a reputation in Israel and now he's going back to people to say, hey, I brought the grace message to the Ninevites and they've repented. Everybody gets mad because they think they're going to take them out because they were rising in their superiority militarily in this point in time. Have you ever thought about how your reputation plays into things? Let me ask a question. Has your reputation become a stumbling block to your loving God and loving others? You're worried about what everybody else is going to think if you do this or say that? How people are going to look at you? How it's going to affect how people treat you? Is our pride keeping us from showing grace and mercy toward others? It's a hard question. It's one worthy of pondering even after we're done today how about this is your i put it in quotes or my holiness is our holiness producing in us a holier than thou attitude which is actually not holy at all 
Are we finding more joy in being right over being in right relationship? I'm a truth guy. I like being right. I often find that in my own home, oftentimes I will be more concerned with being right than being in right relationship, and that is not holy. Let me say it plainly. God does not want Jonah's or our religious duty. He wants our heart and our affections. He doesn't just want us to walk through the motions. Anything done just walking through the motions is not done for his glory at all, no matter how religious it is. He wants us to love him because he first loved us. He's not pining, waiting around, just hoping we're going to love him. And if not, he's going to be lesser somehow. He is fully good as is. Didn't need us for anything. Yet out of his great love, he created us for his glory. And by showering his love upon us, even when we were yet unlovable, he shows us a benevolent kind of love that he has made us to reflect to others and to himself. He yearns for your heart and affections, not your religious duty. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. Jesus is asked the question. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? You know it. He said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. How well are we loving one another? Loving one another means sometimes saying hard things in love. Loving one another means sometimes extending grace again and again. Loving others means forgiving, even when they're not asked to forgive. Loving God means continually turning back to him face to face, being in his presence instead of running as Jonah has done. And when we recognize we're not face to face, we turn immediately back to him. Listen, he did not send his one and only son, who's worth more than all of creation combined, to come to this place to live a life that we could not live, to serve us as the king of the universe, to humble himself, to serve us, and to pay the price of our debt, our sin, in his blood, so that he would just say, whatever, I don't care. It's out of his great love for us. He just wants us to turn back face to face and love him back. Because in that, we find the fullness for which we've been created. That's what we see in the rest of the chapter here, verses 5 through 11. It may not sound like it, but here's how we sum that up, and then we'll read it together. God loves us too much to leave us alone. That's the good news today. God sovereignly directs our circumstances to lead us into a right relationship with Him. It may not be something you like. It may not be something easy or fun, but He sovereignly directs our circumstances to lead us to where we will look back to Him and where we can enter into a relationship with Him again. Where we can be in a good, right relationship. No matter where you are in life right now, no matter what you've been doing, no matter how far you've been away from Him, or maybe that you've never ever been face-to-face with Him before in a way of saving grace and mercy, 
I'm telling you right now that God is not done with you because you're listening to this right this very moment. And you're an earshot of the grace of God by hearing the gospel of Jesus. And He wants you here because He loves you too much to leave you where you are. He's not done with you. He is not satisfied with just saving your soul in a moment of conversion. He wants you to experience the fullness of joy in relationship with Him. Because His mercy is more than just a way to convert people. Look at this. Look what happens in verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed, that's God's sovereignty, He appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah. That it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Cared for Jonah. Showed some mercy. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. I wonder sometimes if we're exceedingly glad, filled with joy because of our circumstances and not in the one who provides for us in our circumstances. We can be exceedingly glad because we got our way. We can be exceedingly happy and joyful because we got the thing we've always wanted. Or because we have somebody doting on us the way that we've wished they would. Instead of finding our joy in the giver of all good things. Didn't work out too well for Jonah. It says in verse 7, But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm. There it is again. He appointed. He appointed. He rose up, put a worm in this way, appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God then appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It's better for me to die than to live. Aren't we getting tired of that? Self-pity going on. I wonder how many times my wife gets tired of my self-pity. Or even my kids. But here we see God appointing this great thing to cover Jonah up, and then he appoints a worm to tear it down. And you think, well, that's horrible. What a mean God. No, it's grace. It's grace. He's leading him somewhere. God said to Jonah in verse 9, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. That word pity, by the way, means to show compassion to, to have compassion on. He says, and should I not pity or have compassion on Nineveh? That great city, in other words, that he built up. There's no land that is not built up that is not built up under God's sovereign hand. And this land's the same. Even though they weren't living for God and they thought they were doing it all by themselves, God had appointed that city to rise up. We don't know the fullness of why, but we know that He does because He's sovereign over everything. That great city, He says, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. And He sent Jonah to bring them to their knees so they would know their right hand from their left, right? And also much cattle. Don't you see, Jonah? I'm trying to show you something. I'm trying to bring you to your knees so that you can look up and see how much I love you so you don't have to be bowed down anymore, but you can be filled with joy because of my grace and mercy toward you, towards the Ninevites. See, we experience fullness of joy when we revel in the presence of God instead of running from it. 
What are some ways you might be running from God? You may think, well, I'm not running from God. I'm good. I'm good. I'm there. No, no, no. There's, there's some areas in your life where He's made a quiet whisper or a loud yell to you and you are avoiding it. All of us have some things we're not tuning into from the Lord. Maybe not this moment, but it happens. And what are you doing when you run? He loves you too much to let you go. Let me bring a shade over you and pull it away just so you go, what the, well, what the heck is going on? Why would you do that? Oh, you're looking at me again. Okay, good, let's talk. Maybe you go through the hard things so that he can bring you to a place where you're ready to listen again. Maybe you go through hard things just because he loves you and it's a part of sin in the world and he allows it to happen. We don't know why, but I know this. He works all things to the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. So whatever it is, I'm not saying it's a good thing if it's a bad thing. I'm just saying he will use it for your good and your relationship with him if you'll turn face to face with him again. You know, another way we experience fullness of joy with him, and this is a really cool part that... Jonah just misses completely. And I hope you've been hearing it because I've been saying it. I know the Word's been saying it to me. God's been kicking me in the stomach with it for the last several weeks. Often he does it, but it's harshly in this text, really pressing it into me. We experience the fullness of joy when we participate in the redemptive work of God with him. You don't get face-to-face just to sit there. You get face-to-face to enjoy him, see what he's doing, and stay with him. That's why Jesus looked out at the disciples and said, follow me. Not come get face to face me. Follow me. Come be with me from here forward. Come go where I go. Then he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. That's what he wants with us because that's where we find fullness of joy. We know this is true. So here's the question for us. Why aren't we then, church? Why are we not? Some of you are doing it. Some of you may not be. Why are we not reaching the lost in our community? I'm not going to harp on it every week in this way, but this whole story is all about this. So why aren't we doing it? Here's what I'll tell you it's not. It's not an intellectual problem within us. It's not because we don't know. I didn't not share the gospel last night at a restaurant with somebody because I didn't know better, right? It's not an intellectual problem. I know I just messed up all of you English-speaking folks that like the rules of grammar. It's also not a theological problem. I don't believe anybody in our faith family believes that we don't need to do this, that we're not called to do this, not commanded to do this. It's not an intellectual, it's not a theological problem. So what is left? It's a heart problem. It's a heart problem, brothers and sisters. This is not to be a beatdown. This is to... Say, look, we're about to gather together with some family time over the next several weeks through the end of Labor Day so that we can be together as a family, enjoy one another on Sunday mornings in a way we haven't in quite some time. It's been a hard season for a lot of us before this, and we're going to enjoy some time together. And on Wednesday nights, we got you look in that newsletter, we've got a lot of things listed out on Wednesday nights for fun to gather together. We're going to have a good time together. But it's not just about coming together. It's about bringing others together with us so that they can hear and experience the joy of knowing Jesus as well. And if we're not doing that, it's because there's a heart problem. And yeah, they've all got heart problems out there. None of us got a heart problem. But I think we're like Jonah in that we have a heart problem too. 
And that begins with not recognizing some things. Do you see others the way God sees them? Do you love others the way God loves? Do I love others the way God loves them? Not enough. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, worth more than all the creation combined, to serve and die for the world so that we could be brought into his family. So that we could be brought into his family. Not so we could be a trophy on the wall. Not so that we could be servants who just flag him with things to make him feel cool in the hottest summer, feed grapes to the king, to be brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, to be family love. I think we don't see ourselves rightly and how much of a huge thing it is to say that God loved even me, still loves even me enough to give Jesus. And Lord, give us eyes to see others the way you see us. But we ask you, please, help us to see everyone we walk by and the reality of where they are spiritually so that we may love them the way that you love us, the way you love them. One commentator says, Despite all the picture lessons God had given Jonah, had he not yet learned the lesson that the immortal souls of men are the most precious thing in the universe? Yet he, Jonah, was worked up to a screaming point because of the loss of a plant and the discomfort of the sun. Shame on him. Shame on me. Shame on us sometimes. But our Lord is good and kind and merciful and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. We turn face to face. He's there. He forgives and he's gracious and kind. Today is a new day. His mornings, his, his mercies are new every morning. So are you willing to lose your reputation for the sake of God's reputation? To be the crazy one that always talks about Jesus because that's the most important thing in the world to be, be talking about? I know it sounds cliche, but it's just the truth. Are we ready for that kind of loving God because he first loved us? It would change the face of this community and definitely change our church. It seems that Jonah struggled with losing his reputation. He must have realized that the reputation of God in Nineveh necessitated the loss of his own reputation in Israel. We see somebody else in the Bible like that. Paul. Remember? Paul, who was up and coming, one of the greatest, the leader of the Pharisees, up and coming. And he saw that it was worth losing that reputation, his entire life's future for the sake of the reputation of God among the Gentiles. Even more than that, Jesus certainly understood this as the way. We see that in Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then he says, in Matthew 16, it's recorded, he says to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Reputation? Fun for a little while? David Platt says, in a world where everything revolves around yourself, 
protect yourself, promote yourself, comfort yourself, take care of yourself. Jesus says, crucify yourself. And in that we find joy. It is the craziest notion. But you know it because you've experienced it. In the moment where you recognized that you died to self and you were made alive in Christ, in that moment you experienced joy that you've never felt before then. And it filled you in such a way that you couldn't come off of that high for days. And then we find our way back into monotony because we don't recognize the grace and mercy of Christ that maintains and sustains us even now. And then he brings us back to that place and we experience or when we get to give the gospel of Jesus to somebody else and they experience that life-changing moment and, and we get to experience part of it as being a part of the redemptive work of God as the one who speaks of the grace of God, the mercy of God, being the, the, the better Jonah in a sense. And then we, we sense it and we taste it and it changes us and then we easily fall back in the way. The only way to stay in the middle of that joy is to stay face-to-face with God and stay working in the redemptive work over and over and over again. That is the only way. And so we waste our time with things. I waste my time with things. But let it not be so anymore. I'm not saying you got to give up everything you do. I'm saying use it all to his glory. If you like doing something fun, do it to his glory. You like going fishing? I don't really like going fishing, just so you know. One of my sons, several of my kids, love going fishing. So you know what we do? We go fishing. I try to talk about Jesus. Take a friend. Get to the Lord. Whatever it is, do it all for the glory of God, which means to speak of his excellencies, especially as they're found in Jesus. Here it is. What's the one thing in your life that God is calling you to lay down today? What part of yourself do you need to deny today in order to take up your cross and follow Jesus in this moment? It's a daily adventure. A daily adventure. Is God making something clear to you today that you need to forfeit for the sake of your soul? Whatever it is, please don't hold it back. Maybe you're relying on some form of self-righteousness that tells you you don't need to do anything. It's sneaky. We talked about how sneaky it is. I'm good. I wonder if there's someone else here needs to hear this. I wonder what, man, I wish Cousin Susie would be here to hear this today. I don't have a Cousin Susie, in case you're wondering. She really needs to hear this today. I wonder what somebody's, somebody's really need to deal with something today in here. I don't know. Let's turn to the face of the Lord and let's ask him to reveal what's deep in our hearts. Because to say that we're good is really potentially a lie straight from the bowels of hell. To think that we're okay and there's nothing that needs to change is to be right where the enemy wants us. All of us have something to repent of today. And today, the good news is, today's a day of repentance. Jesus provided for us a day like today so that we could hear the gospel, so that we could be drawn into the truth of the grace of God found in the face of Jesus, and that we could find hope again right now. Maybe for the first time, but there's a time now to repent and believe in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I, I pray for you every day, some by name every day, some by the group every morning, every night. And I pray every day that God would take us and take our hearts and tune them to his that when he resonates his goodness, that we would echo it everywhere we go. Here's a few more questions. Are you struggling with forgiveness? Giving it or getting it? Or are, you, are, you, are you struggling with the sin that is a stronghold in your life that you just can't let go of? Turn your eyes to Jesus. 
Are you having a difficult time even believing that God really loves you? I'm here to tell you he does. He loves you so much that he gave Jesus. The truth is you are worth everything to God because Jesus is his everything. God the Father gave his one and only son. So as Jonah in his anger, he was angry, he was hot. Angry, angry, hot, hot, it even says at one point. He was so angry, in his anger, went outside the walls of the city because he wanted God to destroy the people. But Jesus, in his great love for us, went outside the walls of the city to take our sins upon himself. In our place, he stood condemned on the cross so that he could bring us into his family. For the people, he went to die gladly, willingly. Jonah Forgot the value God places on the souls of people. But Jesus has never forgotten your value because he made you and he loved you so much he gave his life for you. Jesus knows exactly how much you're worth because he bought you with his very own blood. And now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Brought near face to face. Jonah gladly took God's mercy upon himself and yearned for God's justice to be poured out on the people. But Jesus gladly took God's justice upon himself. Our sin. And then he cried out for God's mercy to be poured out on us. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he paid the price and he said, it is finished. Jonah was sorrowful and heartbroken over his own misery. He didn't care at all for the people, but Jesus cared not for his own misery, but he was heartbroken over the misery and destruction coming for us. Man, what a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? I would sing it, but you don't want to hear it. (laughs) Let us bow down before him today. For he is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah to him. For Christ is risen. He's risen indeed for you and for me. He has paid the price. He's paid the debt. And today is a new day, a day of redemption, because his mercy is more. It's more than our sin. It's more than our failures. It's more than our goodness. It's more than our religiousness. And we need him every moment, every hour we need him. So let us turn back to him now. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, we're going to have a little music going on. I'm going to ask you when we're done with that to stand and sing with us if you would, but I will say this to you. If God's working in your heart now and you need to repent of something, if he's made something aware to you that you need to to throw down before him, I I beg you to do it. You can do it where you are. This altar will be open. You can do it here if the Lord so leads. Let me tell you, if the Lord leads, you better do it. Whether it's there or here, wherever it is, do not, do not make it be as Jonah. Let us not be like Jonah. Let us become like Jesus. Father, we need your goodness and your grace and your mercy. We are never going to be enough, but you have paid the price and your son Jesus is enough. Lord, help us to rely on him. Help us to find our hope in him. And Lord, today as you bring things to our attention that need to change, I pray that we would be obedient. Even now, if you tell us to get on our knees, that we would be obedient. If you tell us to lay down something that we love, that we would lay it before you. And it may be like Abraham who laid down Isaac and then you let him take him back up again. Or it may be that you take that thing from us, whatever it is. But Lord, we trust you. We know you are a king, but you are our father. So we ask you to lead us and that you would give us the power and the strength to be obedient. Lord, renew our hope 
in you and what you've called us to as a faith family. And those who need you that are outside of here, that we would have a hunger and a heart for them, no matter how different they are from us, no matter how much more they have than us, that we would see them the way you see them, with eyes of love and mercy and grace, and we would go to them as you've called us to do, for your glory and for our joy and for their salvation. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helps you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to make apprentices of Jesus by being a family for families.